Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Well, church, a very, very exciting weekend. Each of these families, members of Abundant Life, either have been or soon will be leaving for the nations. It's the Great Commission living sent with this awesome opportunity to bring redemption to the nations, beginning with our neighbors. And so this weekend, we're doing something that began in Acts chapter 13 in the early, early days of Christianity with the very first gospel missionaries went out on the very first missionary journey Uh, It says in Acts chapter 13, now in the church that was at Antioch, we might say today at the church that was at Abundant Life. This is what we're doing, the very same thing. There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up by Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And that was the very first missionary journey as the early Christians fulfilled the call of God upon their life from the mouth of the Son of God to take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And these members of our church behind me, some of them are actually going to the ends of the earth from Kansas City. They're going from here to there, all around the world. We're not losing them. We are sending them. They're going to be extensions of our church to the nations, and we are absolutely so thrilled and so proud of all that God has done in and through you. Would you give it up right now for them and let them know that we are 100% behind them, that we're going to hold the rope for them as they go other places that many of us may never go to take the gospel to many people who have never, ever heard. Last night, we had a special uh, sending, commissioning moment. We laid hands on them and prayed over them exactly as they did in Acts chapter 13, and I want to give all of us that opportunity now. So would you bow with me? Jesus, we are so thankful for a move of God that you have raised up abundant life, members among us, to be missionaries. God, that you've called every member to be a missionary. And Lord, these men and women have been living sent already, and now they're simply changing geography. And God, today we pray the power and the promise of Acts 1-8 upon them. And Jesus, you promised that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and be witnesses of you in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, Lord, we ask that you'd go with them, that you would empower them. Yes, that you would provide for them and protect them, but most of all, that you would empower them with the Spirit of God to be a powerful witness of the Son of God in the places you have called them. And, God, we ask for many more in the years ahead that, Lord, as they are leading the way in this missionary movement, there'd be other families among us that would stand up and say, I'll be the next to go. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for them, would you guys? We love you so very much. We're so proud of all of you, and we're gonna be praying for you. Many of them have already been to the nations, they're back. Some will be leaving for the first time, shortly after the first of the year, uh, to take the gospel to places, in some cases, that are hostile to the gospel. Uh, Countries where it's, in some cases, illegal to be a Christian. And that's the place that the gospel is needed most. Would you open your Bible today to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. Galatians 6 and verse 17. We've been in a series called Scars. Every scar tells a story. It's a story of suffering. Where there's a scar, there was a wound. Most of the time we think about avoiding suffering and avoiding scars, but today I want to talk about running to the suffering and bearing the scars. It was 21 years ago today at this very moment, those of us that are old enough to remember will never ever forget it, as our nation was wounded. And today that wound has become a scar that this nation will carry for the rest of its history. This day on 9-11 will live forever in infamy. It's a day full of tragedy, 
as thousands of people lost their lives. But if there's all the bad news, there is some good news. And from that tragedy and that scar that was embedded forever in the soul of our nation, there are stories of heroes. And what amazed me looking back is the number of people that was running to the disaster while there were others running from the disaster. All the people that were running to save their life while thousands of others were running to give their life. One of those heroes is among us, a member of our church, Rick Ionello. 21 years ago, was on ground zero. He was a member of the New Jersey Naval National Guard. An eyewitness of ground zero that day, one of the first responders, and as a chaplain with the Navy, ministered to the victims of 9-11 and many of those first responders for months and months thereafter. He's with us today, and right now, I want to show appreciation to Rick and all first responders, not just there at 9-11, but those today that run to the disaster every single day. When others are running away, would you give it up right now for Rick and all the other first responders? that give their life so readily, so sacrificially. Thank you. Thank you for what you did 21 years ago and what you do now every single day. The irony is that while thousands of people that day were running from the disasters, others were running to it. When thousands of people had lost their lives, many were willing that day to give their life. On that particular day, when many were running to save their life, others were running to give their life, and many would do just that. And in some way, that's what I think Jesus meant when he said we are to live sent. John 20 and verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You heard all seven or eight of these families in that video tell you what it means to them to live sent. But if I was gonna put it like this, I would simply say that what Jesus was teaching is that what he did for us, we are now to do for others too. In the same way he came, sent by the Father of above to bear the scars for our sin, we are now to bear scars for him. And if you live sin and you begin living on mission, there are times, church, you're going to suffer. This is a series on suffering. We learned last week that all suffering is because of human sin, either our sin or somebody else's sin or Adam's sin. No one is the exception. Nobody gets an exemption when you're born into the sin-cursed creation. But while most of the time we think about hiding from the suffering and running from the suffering, I would suggest at least some of the time we need to run to the suffering and embrace the suffering and bear the scars for him, the one that bore the scars for our sin. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. Listen carefully. Living sent for Jesus meant he would bear the scars for our sin, but living sent for us means we're going to bear scars for him. Every single one of these families will bear scars. They will all suffer loss leaving their families, leaving their country, leaving in many cases the security, the safety, the prosperity of Western society to live in places and pockets and people that have never heard the name of Jesus, sometimes places that are hostile to the gospel. But I want you to see whether or not you ever live sent to the nations. Jesus has called us all to live sent to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to live on mission, this mission of redemption. And today I wanna talk about bearing the scar of the Lord Jesus Christ, being willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 17, just one verse today. It's not gonna be a short sermon, just a short verse. No, long sermon, just a short verse. All right, here it is. Galatians 6, 17. I've always been intrigued by how the Apostle Paul is signing off his letter to the Galatians. He's written to the Galatians. He's now answering his critics in Galatia. Listen carefully. When you live for Jesus and you are living sin and you are all in for him, you will have critics. You will have haters. You will. And the greater threat you are to the adversary, the more haters you're going to have which meant everywhere the Apostle Paul went, even though God used this man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write half of the New Testament, and as an apostle, he had apostolic gifts of signs and wonders. I mean, here's a man that raised the dead, but in spite of all that, he still had haters and he still had critics. Imagine. 
He's signing off this letter. He's answering his critics. And look at how he does it. Galatians 6, 17. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks or the scars of the Lord Jesus. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? Hey, I'm done with this conversation. I'm done answering my critics. I'm done with this discussion. From now on, my scars will speak for themselves. I'll let my scars do the talking. You want to question my credibility, my authenticity? I bear in my body the scars of the Lord Jesus, the scars of suffering. Here is a man that was literally beaten for Christ, imprisoned for Christ, literally eventually beheaded for Christ. This was a man that said, I'll bear my scars. You show me your scars, I'll show you mine. And we'll decide who the authentic follower of Jesus Christ really is. You see, the world was changed in the ancient days by what they saw when they saw the scars of the early Christians. And I would suggest the world is still watching, but they're not being changed because they don't see any scars. Church, it's time for you and I, it's time for the modern American church to decide it's okay to bear some scars. And the early church and the early Christians radically altered human history. They turned Roman society upside down by the end of the first century because this was a church that was willing to bear the scars, the scars of suffering. And that is what Paul is now appealing to. Listen carefully. Paul's credibility as an apostle and a follower of Christ came not from from what he said, but from his scars. He's saying, guys, talk is cheap. Words come easy. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I've literally been beaten for him and tortured for him. And I'm telling you today, while we think about scars and suffering, things to be avoided, today I want you to see how there's some suffering we ought to run to instead of running away. There are some scars we ought to want to bear. I'm talking about the sacrifice and the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you live sent, what it means is that you too will bear some scars. Listen carefully. Are you committed or are you consecrated? That's what I want you to consider today. Are you committed as a Christian or are you consecrated as a Christian? Now listen, we don't use consecration in modern American vernacular. We don't use this idea of consecration in modern American church. We think in terms of being committed to Jesus. I've made a commitment to Christ, to follow Christ. But listen very carefully. Nowhere in the New Testament did Jesus ever ask us to make a commitment. What he asks us for over and over again is to take up a cross and a cross demands more than a commitment. You see, in Jesus' day, when he said these words in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. There could have been no confusion in the minds of those first century followers. They know exactly what he meant. Now, we think it was just allegorical or metaphorical, but listen, for the first century follower of Jesus, they were very familiar with what it meant to take up a cross. They were very familiar with Roman executions that was by way of crucifixion. And in Jesus' day, a cross was not something you wore. It is something you bore. And as you took up your cross, you were carrying it to a place of suffering and pain and eventually death. You see, what Jesus was teaching is what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to follow him on the Calvary road of suffering and bear the scars of him that bore the scars of your sin. You see, we want today to be a follower of Jesus and deny ourselves nothing. Yet he said to deny yourself and take up your cross. The implication is clear. To follow Jesus means to deny myself and die to myself. But we want today a faith that demands nothing so that it does nothing and a faith that commands nothing so it accomplishes nothing. And Jesus was trying to lay down the condition to be a Christian and follow him to live sent. You're going to bear some scars. You see, consecration is just another way of saying crucifixion. Yet in our modern American churchianity, I'll call it churchianity because it's not Christianity, modern American churchianity, we're called to make a commitment to Jesus. But think about this for a moment. How many commitments have you made in your life that you're no longer committed to? See, commitments come and go. They come and go with the seasons of life, or sometimes the cost gets too high, and I'm no longer committed to what I used to be committed to. I mean, think about all the things you were committed to 10 years ago that you're no longer committed to now. 
And think about this, all the commitments you now have, the 10 years from now, you won't be committed to anymore. See, commitments come and go. And that is why many people choose to follow Christ and they made a commitment to Christ, but today they're no longer following Christ because the commitment and the cost got too high. And that's why Jesus never asked you to make a commitment. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus does not want to be another commitment in an already overcommitted life. We're all overcommitted already, aren't we? And that's why Jesus says, no, I want you to pick up a cross. I want, I'm talking about consecration. That word consecration actually comes from the Old Testament. The ancient Hebrews would bring an offering to the tabernacle or the temple. They would present that offering to the priest, and the priest, watch this, would consecrate that offering before God. And in consecrating that offering, guess what they would do with that offering? Yeah, they would kill the offering, and then they would set it on the altar, and it would be completely consumed in the fire. It was on the cross that Jesus was completely consumed for us. He poured out his life for us. He was consecrated for us. And do you understand the implication when he said to take up your cross? It is that you will pour out your life now for him, that you will bear the scars for the one that bore the scars of sin. And you can begin to see why the church in America is powerless to really change a generation, powerless to reach a nation. The early church were powerful, yet they didn't have the programs, they didn't have the buildings, they didn't have the budget, they didn't have the technology, yet they radically altered human history by the end of the first century is because they got something that we somewhere have lost along the way. They had power because they were not afraid to be a martyr. And to the degree that you're willing to give your life literally or metaphorically, as a martyr of Christ, you will live with the power of the resurrected Christ. You think about this, I'm committed, you're committed. This is opening day of the NFL, the Chiefs. I have never seen so much red in our church since last year at this time. And looking around, it's amazing to me, I had no idea how many people in our church are named Mahomes. Remarkable. (laughs) Everywhere I look, somebody's named Mahomes. I had no idea one team could have so many number 15s. It's weird. I didn't know we could do that. Here's the point. We wear our colors because we're committed, aren't we? Hey, we're committed to our team. If you're watching from somewhere else in the world, Kansas City is an NFL town, and we love our Chiefs, and this city is shrouded in red. I'm telling you, red is everywhere. Why? Because we're committed to our Chiefs. But check this out. You're not consecrated to them. No, you're not going to die for them. You're a fan, but you're not a follower. In the same way, right now, NFL stadiums around the country are full of fans. You go to Arrowhead in a home game this year, this fall, 70,000 people in the stands all shouting and cheering because they're fans. But what are they doing? They're in the stands. They're watching a few people play, and they're cheering them on. You see, the average church in America is full of people in the stands, and we're all Jesus fans, and we see these other eight fans that have lived sent, and now they're going to the nations, and we cheer them on, and yeah, Jesus, Jesus, he's our man. Let's give Jesus a great big hand. Woo-hoo! <laughs> you guys go. We're behind you. That's like the average of Arrowhead Stadium this fall. 70,000 people cheering on our team. Team Jesus, go. Yeah, go, Pastor Phil. You go, Chad. Yeah, you guys go. We're for you. No, wait a minute. The church is not to be full of people in the stands, yet the average church, that's all it is. We come to church, we watch other people play, we watch other people sing, we watch other people serve, we watch other people. And I'm trying to tell you, we're committed as fans, but Jesus is calling us to be true followers. One is commitment, the other is consecration. To be a follower of Jesus demands that you let go of your life instead of hanging on to your life. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter eight, he said these words, if you will seek to save your life, you will lose your life. But if you will lose your life, you will find your life. Real life begins. You wanna come fully alive, then it's time to die. Take up your cross and follow him. There's no more being a fan, but a true follower. I'm committed to my team, guys. Everybody knows. I got blood and sweat equity in the Kansas Jayhawk football program. 
We are two and O oh for the first time in a decade. This almost never happens. Guys, I heard about Mizzou yesterday. Hey, I feel your pain. I feel your pain, I do. I can relate, I'm used to it. It doesn't get any easier. I feel your pain, I do. Here's the point, I'm committed to my Jayhawks. I'll root for them if they don't win again, because I'm committed, they're my team. But I'm not dying for them. I'm not laying down my life for the Jayhawks, but I will lay down my life for Jesus. See, that's consecration. What was in view in Romans 12 and verse 1? The Apostle Paul said, I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know what was in view for the Apostle Paul as an ancient Hebrew? What was in view is that offering that was consecrated on the altar. You see, for an ancient Hebrew, there's no such thing as a living sacrifice. It's a dead sacrifice. Yet the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. There's the paradox of the Christian life. When you're consecrated to Christ, you're a living sacrifice. My life is no longer my own. I am living now, sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to glorify Jesus Christ with my life. Wherever he sends, I will go. And I will promise you, dear church, to the degree you have fully died, you will come fully alive. You will live in the power of the resurrected Christ. Christ. And that was the power of the early church. And that is why the average modern American church is powerless. Because we've chosen commitment where the call all along has been consecration. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is answering more critics. You got critics, he had critics. Everywhere he went, he had critics. Look at what it says here. Are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. They're calling him a fool. Paul, you're a fool. Listen, when you sell everything you have and you move to another country to live for Jesus and take the gospel to a people that have never heard, people are not gonna understand. They're gonna think, well, you're a fool. I mean, 22 years ago, I went to bid a cop, woke up a pastor. I can tell you, as I was leaving the police department to pursue my calling, abandoning my career, I actually had a personal friend on the PD come to me and guess what he said? Phil, don't be a fool. Are you crazy? You're going to be a pastor? Don't you know you could be somebody? I mean, he said those very words. You could be chief someday. He thought I'd fallen out of my tree. You're gone loony. There was actually a rumor going around the police department back then that I was going to be a Catholic priest. <laughs> that was the rumor. He thought I was going to be a Catholic priest. I said, Catholic priest, really? What do you think I ought to do with my wife and kids? Listen, when you begin to live in this kind of way and you're living sin, you're all in, no longer committed, one foot in, one foot out. Not everybody's gonna understand. Not everybody's gonna applaud for you. Not everybody's gonna cheer for you. They're not cheering the Apostle Paul. Some are calling him a fool. And look what he says here. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes or scars above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often. From the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes, 40 scars, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. You think you've had a tough life? You think you've had a bad day? I mean, Paul is literally going down the list, taking inventory of the marks and the scars that he now bears on his body from having suffered for Christ in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides all the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I want you to notice something. Paul was bearing the scars of suffering not for doing anything wrong, but for doing everything right. See, you will bear the scars of sin when you live out of God's will, but you will also bear the scars for him for living in God's will. 
See, we have a faulty, watered-down, distorted theology in modern American churchianity. It goes something like this. If the Apostle Paul was a modern American pastor, there would be somebody looking at him going, Paul, are you sure you're in the will of God? Paul, are you sure you're supposed to start that church? Really? Man, Paul, it doesn't look like you have the anointing of God on your life at all. Paul, are you sure you're in the will of God? Are you sure you're supposed to be in the ministry? Because it doesn't look like it's going very well, Paul. See, we think, as modern American Christians, part of the evidence that you're in the will of God is everything is easy. No, I'm trying to tell you, sometimes being in the will of God, it's hard. And the evidence you're in the will of God is it's hard. Obedience is costly. It will lead you to places of suffering. And I'm trying to tell you, for Paul, he was right in the will of God. Being in the will of God eventually got him beheaded. But he was in the will of God all along. See, sometimes you'll bear scars for sin, and we all bear those scars, the consequences of sin, when we've been out of the will of God, but you choose your scars in life. You'll also bear scars, not for sin, but for being in the will of God, and that's Paul. And I want you to see what Paul is doing as he's answering his critics that have called him a fool. Here's what he's teaching. Listen, fools are not people who give their lives for the gospel, but rather people who waste their lives living solely for themselves. See, the tragedy is not the apostle Paul that literally died a martyr's death. The tragedy is not the one that gives their life for the gospel, but rather the one that saves their life and lives their life solely for themselves. You see, he's teaching the fool is the one that trades the eternal for the temporal. The fool is the one that lives for the material and the physical and live instead of living for the eternal and the things that matter and last forever. Don't be a fool. You've got one life to live. It will soon be passed, and the only thing that will matter is what will last. And if you've been listening to me a long time, I say this often. I never want you to forget it. Sometimes people accuse me, Pastor Phil, you repeat yourself sometimes. Yes, I do. It's not accidental. I choose to. I mean to. Are you, are, do you have children living in your house? Okay. You repeat yourself too. Just read the Bible. God repeats himself. If you've been listening to me a long time, you know there's only two things that last forever. If you're not li living for these two things that last forever, you'll live a life that did not matter because you live for things that don't last forever. If you want your life to really matter, you have to live for the things that last forever. There are only two things that last forever. The word of God, finish it with me, and the souls of men. You guys are awesome. You do listen. Yeah, there's only two things in this world that last forever, the word of God and the souls of men. If you're not living in some kind of way to take the word of God and invest it in the souls of men, you will have lived a life that doesn't matter. You would have traded the temporal for the eternal. You will have traded the material for the things that really matter, the things that really last forever. Paul's saying, don't be a fool. You've got one life, and five seconds after you die, the only thing that will matter is did you live for things that last forever. That is why we have to live sent. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. And that is for every single body. That's for every single Christian. Every member is a missionary. Whether you ever go to the nations, God has called you to your neighbors. Whether you ever go to the nations. God has called you to your co-workers every single day, living sent, living on that mission, that mission of redemption. Listen, Philippians 3 and verse 4. Paul describes making the great exchange. He describes here trading the temporal for the eternal, the things that matter and last forever. He says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, the physical, the material, he says, I'm more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed also I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ." 
Let me translate, maybe paraphrase, put it in modern vernacular. Here's what Paul was saying. Guys, I came from the right family. I had myself a family pedigree. Yes, I came from material prosperity. I have an illustrious ancestry. I went to the right seminaries. Oh, yes, I had my PhDs in theology. Yes, I was a rising star in Hebrew society, but I have chucked it all that I might gain something better, something that lasts forever. All the stuff I have lost, my status, my symbol, all the cool stuff. I'm talking about my family. They've abandoned me. I'm talking about I've been perils and poverty when I was once wealthy. He says, I count it all rubbish that I've gained something better because it lasts forever. And check this out. This word rubbish in the English, that's actually not the word in the Greek. The word in the Greek actually I'll say this delicately. It's manure. Manure. He's saying, I count it all as manure. I count it all, all the stuff, all the stuff I've abandoned, all the stuff I've forsaken. I count it all as manure. He says, I count it as dung, as doo-doo. That's how important it is. Compared to what I've gained, it's horse hockey. Bullpucky. Making some of you nervous, aren't I? Don't worry, we're going to stop right there. He's saying, all the stuff I've abandoned, everything I could have had, this illustrious life of status and wealth and prosperity, I count it as nothing compared to what I have gained. I have gained the eternal And I'm trying to tell you that is the great exchange. For what will you live? For what will you consecrate yourself to? You see, we all consecrate ourselves to something. For some of us, we're more consecrated to our car than we are Christ. For some of us, we're more consecrated to our lawn than we are Jesus. That which you sacrifice for, that which you sweat for, that which you labor for, that which controls your minds and your thoughts and your, your focus. Listen, I want to be like Ken and Carrie Lyle someday. Ken and Carrie Lyle's members of our church, longtime missionaries to the Islamic world. Last night, Ken told a story I'd never heard him tell. In the 1970s, Ken and Carrie were in the country of Iran taking the gospel to Muslims. After five years of being there, they still had not seen one convert. And he was lamenting, literally throws himself on the floor, on his face before God, begins to pray that God would save these Muslims, that God would redeem these from the deception of Islam, that they would know the true joy of Jesus and redemption. It was not long thereafter they had to leave. If you know anything about that history and that time, you had a radical takeover of that government by radical Islamic jihadists. That government is still in power today. They had to leave but they still live sin. And all these years later, they have continued to pursue Muslims that have been displaced all over the world. And today, hundreds if not thousands of Muslims have found Jesus through their ministry, through their testimony, and that prayer 55 years ago where he lamented and prayed for Iran. Did you know that today, today, in one of the countries that is most hostile toward the gospel, that getting into Jesus and becoming a Christian can get you in prison if not executed? Executed today, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran with a million Muslims a year coming to faith in Christ. It's believed there are at least a thousand church houses in Tehran. God answered that prayer 55 years ago. Here, here's the thing He's 79 years old. When I say I want to be like them someday, I want to be like them someday, 79 years of age. People today would say, see, you're 79, Ken and Carrie. Hey, it's time to go collect seashells on a seashore. I mean, really, seriously, you've done your part. You've done your time. It's okay. Retire. But see, for Ken and Carrie, there's no retirement from living sent. There's no such thing in the Bible as retirement from living sent. 
It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, no one gets to retire from following Jesus and living sent by Jesus. There's not retirement, there may be redefinement, there is redeployment. I wanna be like Ken and Carrie someday, I am still living sent at 79 years of age. Now I made this observation, I said this many, many months ago, kind of an offhanded comment. I hadn't thought about it until I said it. I, I said this, I said this, I asked the question, where is the next generation of Ken and Carrie Lyles? And guess what? I want you to be introduced and I want you to meet the next generation of Ken and Carrie Lyles. God is raising up another generation among us to come behind them, meet Luke and Heather. They will soon be leaving here to go somewhere there, a place I'm not gonna say, a place that is hostile to the gospel, to do exactly the same thing, to take Jesus to people who have never, ever heard. Now, their story's rather amazing anyway. A handful of years ago, Luke was an avowed atheist. Didn't even believe there is a God. Now he's gonna go be a missionary and tell people about the Son of God. <laughs> That's a pretty awesome story all by itself. Yeah. Heather, his then girlfriend, finds Jesus while in college. Young lady named Amber led her to Christ, and Heather's first convert was then her boyfriend. Being an avowed atheist, he didn't immediately come to faith in Christ. If you hear him tell his story, it took six months or more. He's carefully examining the claims of Christ, comes to the conclusion at the end of his personal journey in terms of examining the evidence that Jesus really did come out of the grave. And if he came out of the grave, that changes everything. Becomes a follower of Jesus. We hired Luke a couple of years ago to lead our paradigm young adult ministry, and today they're going to leave here and take the gospel there. And I want you to hear their story right now. Listen very carefully. About a year ago, I went on a short term trip with our church here at Abundant Life. And I go on this trip and I meet people who are missionaries in this country. And I'm really just inspired by their faith, but I'm also seeing this part of the world that doesn't have access to the gospel. And I remember one morning I came downstairs into the living room and I'm having breakfast in the hostel. So it's a hotel where other people are passing through this uh, town. And I'm having breakfast, uh, a young adult who looks like a guy who could have came to this church on a Tuesday night. And I share the gospel with him. I start to share with him about Jesus and you know, English isn't his main language, so it's pretty broken up. And when I share about Jesus dying on a cross, he did not know who Jesus was. He'd never heard of Jesus before. And that to me was just, you can read about that in a book, but to sit across the table from a guy who's never heard of Jesus, it blew my mind. So I'm experiencing lostness at a level that I never have experienced, but I'm also seeing a really amazing opportunity to help bridge the gap between these people and God. And towards the end of the trip, I was asked to move overseas, which was an honor that um, these people would ask me to move there with my wife. I don't know if you caught this detail uh, in this story, but my wife wasn't on that first trip. This is a problem. <laughs> We're married. So basically from there, I come back to the States and share with her about what happened. and. I would say up until this point, I would have said I had a heart for the nations and the 1040 window, the region of the world that is unreached, but I had never been anywhere in that region of the world. And I have just loved our lives here in Kansas City and at Abundant Life. And we've just been so content and um, have loved doing ministry here. And so I really wasn't seeking out an opportunity to leave um, until Luke gets home and shares with me all about this trip and the needs there. And so over the next couple of months, I seriously processed and considered moving our lives to this country that I knew absolutely nothing about. And then soon after that, we got to go together to um, Central Asia for about three weeks. And during this trip, I, like he said, was just made aware of the lostness. Um, we would go on a walk through the village and 
um, climb up to this mountain that we would pray for the city. It overlooks the whole city. And during our time up there, we started to hear the Muslim call to prayer ringing throughout the city. And I had never heard that before in person or experienced that. And just the overwhelming sense of the people's need for Jesus hit me in that moment. And so um, over the next couple of weeks, we got to build relationships there. Um, the people who are missionaries there, we became really close with and um, getting to meet um, even young believers there. There aren't a ton, but the ones that we met was just really eye-opening. I met a girl who is 16 years old and she had just come to Christ and from a Muslim family. And I asked her if she has a Bible or if she's ever read the Bible and she lit up and she said, yes, I love reading the Bible, but I have to hide my Bible in my room and my parents can't know that I even own one because I don't know what would happen. But the joy that she had on her face whenever I asked her if she loves God's word and she said yes. And that was just one of those moments where um, God really grew my heart for these people. So towards the end of our, our trip together back in February, um, our missions pastor, Bill Gibbs, he actually flew in to meet us uh, for the last few days to debrief. And he asked us just how we're doing, where we're at, and specifically where I'm at with everything. And at that point, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do this. And we both really believe that God was calling us to move forward um, with that process at that point. I remember laying in bed in this country our last night and processing all that we had been processing about leaving um, just an amazing church to go and do this. So just considering that we're about to, to make a huge decision and feeling the weight of that, the only thing that Heather and I could really say was if we don't do this, we're gonna regret it for the rest of our life. If we're not willing to take this step of obedience and to live sin, we would regret it for the rest of our life. We would be disobedient to the opportunity that God set before us. But yeah, we're going. We have this church behind us. But more than anything, Jesus is going with us on this uh, adventure that we like to call Live Sent here at Abundant Life. Praise be to God. The next generation of Ken and Kerry Lyles is among us. God is raising them up. So, so very exciting. I mean to correct one thing Luke said. He said they're leaving our church. No, they're not leaving our church. We're not losing them. We are sending them. See, they're going to be an extension of abundant life where they're going. Uh, they mentioned something called the 1040 window. You may not be familiar. This is a region of the world that is a focus now of modern missions. The 1040 window comes from the 10th and 40th latitude lines, 86 countries, 3.8 billion people that live in that region of the world. It's the least reached part of our globe. Millions, even billions of people living here have never even heard the name Jesus. They've never, ever, ever had a gospel presentation given to them. And that is why so many modern missionaries are going to that region of the world where Heather and Luke will soon be. Now, we're not done. God is raising up more among us. I want you to meet Michael and Hannah also going to the 1040 window. Uh, what's amazing to me about Michael, Michael, I've known Michael since he was nine years old. What that means is he's young and I'm old. That can only mean one thing. But he was here as a child 22 years ago when I started pastoring. Now to watch him grow up and live sent, become a man of God, living on mission, I am so proud of Michael and Hannah. Meet Tim and Sarah Downs. They'll be going to the Ivory Coast, taking Jesus to West Africa, members of our church. I am absolutely so thankful they are living sent to West Africa. Nathan and Crystal Dunahy, a lot of you know, a few years ago, they launched a not-for-profit where they began buying and renovating houses in the urban core of Kansas City. What are they doing? They are ministering the gospel to African refugees that have come to Kansas City from around the world. Listen, we can reach the nations in ways we never have before because the nations are coming here. We don't even have to go there. 
And I'm so proud of the vision of Nathan and Crystal living sent. Bill and Jennifer Hildebrand, veteran missionaries, their ministry is now to missionaries where they are training and preparing American missionary families to relocate and live abroad in the world. And sometimes they are uh, training them to come back, having been there for a long time. You can imagine some of these missionary kids coming back to the U.S., complete culture shock. And so their ministry as missionaries is now to other missionaries to help them transition transition from one place to another. Lloyd and Candy have had a phenomenal ministry in Jamaica. We've taken many trips to Jamaica, and Lloyd has been a missionary living sent to Jamaica now for many, many years. Thank you, Lloyd and Candy, for living sent to the Caribbean. Phil and Val Long are missionaries living sent to Madagascar. It's an island nation just off the coast of South America, and I am so thankful for Villain Valla, living sin, aren't you? Praise be to God. Now listen, I am praying that this is only the beginning. I'm praying for dozens and dozens, even hundreds more from among us that'll live sin. Listen, you don't start living sin to the nations until you're living sin to your neighbors, to your coworkers. See, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. But you understand, every single Christian is called to live sent on mission. Every member is already a missionary. And I say that because I used to think, well, only kind of the spiritually elite get to live like that. You know, only the the really spiritual people, you know, the missionary types. That's what I used to think. But do you understand, God has called every single one of us to live sent. He said these words to all of us in Acts 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Everybody say, me? Me? All of our church houses say, me? Moi? That was not for you. That was for the church houses, Okay. Me, yes, you. This is what Jesus is saying. You, not just a few, but you. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I want you to notice something. His first century followers, when he said the word power, it was the word dunamis. This word dunamis, same word, you get the word dynamite from today. He's saying it's dynamite power, explosive power, supernatural power, and that is the power that God now has put in you. When you receive the Son of God, you also receive the Spirit of God, you receive the power of God to be a supernatural witness of the Son of God. That's the primary reason Jesus gave the church, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, because we were going to need supernatural power to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now check this out. You shall be my witness, witnesses to me. That word witness, what did the first century followers hear? They heard the word martis. You shall be my martyr. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. See, in the first century, to be a witness for Christ meant to be a martyr for Christ. Now, I want you to see, you don't get the power unless you're willing to be a martyr. And to the degree you're willing to be a martyr, you will live with that dunamis power. Do you see why some of us have no power? Because we're still committed, but we're not consecrated. We're not yet a martyr. And I want you to see, I'm convinced this is why the American church lacks power, because it lacks martyrs. The early church was powerful because it was full of martyrs. They literally bore the scars and the marks of the Lord Jesus. And because they were willing to bear the scars and be martyrs, they lived with power. But we have a church today where we avoid suffering and we avoid having to bear the scars. Heaven forbid we should be a martyr. And so we lack power. God today is looking for some martyrs. And in that person, he will pour out his power. Do you want the power of God? I want the power of God. And it's free to all men and all women, but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your life. But do you understand to the degree you have fully died, you will be resurrected fully alive? Only as you bear your cross and embrace the crucifixion can you begin to live now in the power of 
of the resurrection. Church, this is how it's affected me this week. It is so easy for any of us, including me, to vacillate between commitment and consecration. I've been at this 22 years. I'll tell you what that means for me. It means we as a church have taken one risk after another, risk after risk after risk after risk to advance the gospel locally and globally. I'm tired of risk. God, I'm not sure I want to do this again. Risk means stress. I'd rather just rest. That's where I am in life. I'm close enough now. I could hit cruise control, and we could just coast the rest of the way to the end. Do you understand that? But I know for sure that where God is moving, a church cannot be simply meeting. And when we only as a church reject just meeting, will we see God continue moving. God is moving at abundant life. I don't know why. Jesus said in John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. It blows where it wants to. And this I know, the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing on our body. But I will promise, if we're not committed to going, the winds of the Holy Spirit will quit blowing. Which means, Pastor Phil, beginning with me, I can't hit coast. God, I will do it again. Consecrate myself to the cause again. Take yet another risk and the stress, because only when we're committed to moving and not merely meeting, like the average church in America, just meeting, not moving. The cost is too high, demands consecration, demands suffering. Church, I promise I will not hit coast as long as I'm your pastor. You ready to do this again? Whatever this is, wherever God leads us next. His name was Count Zinzendorf. He lived in the mid 1700s. He was a very wealthy Austrian nobleman, a landowner. But his story actually began over 300 years earlier with a Catholic priest by the name of John Huss. John Huss was a Catholic priest in what is today Czechoslovakia, the area of Moravia. John Huss began confronting the Catholic Church with the corruption and the false doctrine. At this time, they were selling indulgences. What that means is they were teaching people that if you gave enough money to the church, you could buy your way literally into heaven. And if you gave even more money, you could buy your way out of purgatory. And you gave even more money, you could buy your relatives out of purgatory. Of course, it was a horrible deception. And this Catholic priest started telling the truth. It would cost him his life. In 1415, the Catholic Church would burn him alive, burn him at the stake. You talk about bearing the scars of Christ what they thought would put out a move if they simply burnt him alive actually sparked a fire that could not be stopped. Thousands all over what is now Czechoslovakia came to faith in Christ, the true and living Christ, the true gospel that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from any works that we've done. You can't buy your way into heaven. Tens of thousands were coming to faith in Christ. They called them the Hussites. It wasn't long thereafter they started identifying them from the region of Czechoslovakia they came from, Moravia. They became known as the Moravians. And 300 years earlier, at the time of Count Zinzendorf, there were thousands of Moravians all over Europe. But it was still a time of bloody persecution. And this man opened up his land as asylum for religious refugees that were fleeing persecution from the Roman Catholic Church. He offered them asylum. These religious refugees began banding together. In 1727, there was about 300 Moravians living on his estate. They began to pray. And God sent revival on this little group of followers. It was a prayer revival. It would last over a hundred years, 24-7 prayer. And here's what happens when a church gets revival. The overflow, the outpouring of revival is always evangelism. And they began to hear about people around the world that never heard the name of Jesus. And from 1730 to 1760, under this man's leadership, the Moravians would send out 226 missionaries around the world. 29 of those 226 were young men. 
that would actually sell themselves into slavery to take the gospel to the slaves working in the sugar cane fields of the West Indies. Can you imagine bearing the scars? These men knew to take the gospel to these slaves would mean they would have to become one. Today you can go on vacation to St. Croix and St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands, and today those islands are a place of vacation, but 300 years ago it was anything but a vacation. It was a place of ruin, devastation, slavery, darkness, depravity. Here you have 29 young men who sold themselves as a slave, 26 of which would die in the sugarcane fields as a slave. The story goes like this. The first two of those 29 set sail, knowing they would never see their families again. They were selling themselves into slavery to take the gospel to the slaves in the sugarcane fields. You can imagine what it was like. People are sobbing, crying, mothers, fathers, knowing they would never see them again. And it's recorded that one of them, as the boat was de departing and they were looking back on shore at their friends and their family. One of them was said to have shouted as he raised his fist in the air, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that would become the battle cry of the Moravian missionary movement. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering in my life. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering in your life. He is worthy, church. He is so worthy. Let's abandon. Please, let's abandon this modern American church movement of anemic, powerless Christianity with a part-time commitment. And let's consecrate ourselves to the greatest cause ever, I am praying for a Moravian missionary movement, abundant life. If God would raise you up, if God would send you to the nations, we will hold the rope. And if God doesn't send you to the nations, would you live sent to your neighbors, to your coworkers? And I'm trying to tell you today, the one who bore the scars of our sin is worthy of us bearing scars for him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for every person today under the sound of my voice. That you would raise up a church not merely committed but fully consecrated. A Moravian movement. And may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. If today under the sound of my voice, wherever you're worshiping or watching from, if you would simply say, God, here am I, send me. I don't know where you might send me, but I want to live sent. Even if it means going to the nations, leaving family, leaving my country, and if not the nations, my neighbors, I will live sent no matter the scars I might suffer. If you would seriously mean that, then I want you to stand right now with me, wherever you are in the world, wherever you're watching from, stand with us, because I want to consecrate ourselves right now before the living God. Just stand up. And if you, if you can't do it, that's okay. No judgment. No judgment. You can be seated. Stay seated. I want you to take this seriously. Don't stand because other people are standing. God knows your heart. God will take your commitment. He's not mad at you if that's where you are in life right now. He loves you right where you are. But he wants to lead you to a life of consecration. Jesus, you see these that are standing right now. And we stand before you, God, you know our hearts. And today we consecrate ourselves to the call of God upon our life to bear the scars and the suffering of following Christ. God, I ask in the weeks, months, years ahead for a Moravian movement, a missionary movement, the bride of Christ at abundant life, living sent, 
by the hundreds, even the thousands, that would live to see tens of thousands and tens of thousands right here in our city and all around the world come to know you personally as the living God. And Jesus, you bore the scars of our sin today. It's with joy that we choose to bear the scars of our co-crucifixion. Today we take up our cross, whatever the cost, to follow you. Fill us, Lord, with your power. No matter what we suffer, we choose to lay down our life as a martyr. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you give Jesus the glory today? He's worthy, isn't he? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.